Welcome to the CJB Sports Show podcast. On this episode, we're going to talk education with the Winnipeg Ice. Today, the announcement that their players will be going to Shaftesbury High School in the fall. We'll talk to General Manager Matt Cockle, who actually went to Shaftesbury High School back in the day. Also, Rob Vanstone of the Regina Leader Post talks about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders quarterback situation. It's uh, it's not good. Not looking good there in Regina. Also, Kelly Moore's week one player profile of Blue Bombers Anthony Gator. You'll hear all that on the podcast. Today, the Winnipeg Ice announced that starting this fall, its players will be attending Shaftesbury High School. Turns out Ice GM Matt Cockle went to that school back in the day, and he joins me now. Matt, what do you remember about your time there? You know, it was a few years ago, but... Uh... I graduated from Shaftesbury and actually, ironically, uh, you know, not unlike, um, you know, a lot of our players uh, during the year, I was going to school at the time uh, in Saskatoon and Shaftesbury was my, uh, my home school. So once the season was over, um, was able to, uh, to come back and, and graduate uh, in Winnipeg and uh, kind of come full circle here a little bit now with, uh, with the players here with the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, now calling that high school their their home. How did this arrangement come to be? It was a, it's a natural fit. The the rink uh, hockey academy teams uh, um, already had a relationship with Shaftesbury, and uh, once we had determined that we were um, the team, the team was moving to Winnipeg. We. Uh, you know, started uh, that discussion with uh, with Catherine Birch, who's the principal of uh, Shaftesbury, and they, of course, have a lot of experience with um, with, with working with uh, student athletes, and um, it, we're excited to be able to work with them this year. For people that don't know, Shaftesbury's at Grant and Shaftesbury. It's right near Tuxedo Golf Course, Cinnamon Park, that kind of area of town. How important is high school when it comes to? junior hockey because it's I think something people maybe forget about as it's a big part of these kids lives well it's a huge part uh, and I appreciate you asking the question you know when when players are uh, playing in the Western Hockey League they're they're obviously committed uh, to, to hockey and getting better and developing as a, as a player but also also as a as a person and a big part of developing as a as a person at that age is having uh you know relationships with people outside of uh the hockey team and you know what's uh the great thing about Shaftesbury is has a very dynamic course offering the ability of being so close by for the players to attend uh classes of course um and in addition to that there's some flexibility with some online courses so uh, in terms of meeting all of the players' uh, needs and flexibility for obviously a, a little bit of travel that happens throughout the year um, and the great support that Shaftesbury provides. Uh, we're really lucky to have, uh, you know, a school um, so close by that um, obviously has a lot of experience working with student-athletes and provides the players with a great place to to develop relationships off the ice. Now, you mentioned online classes. How much has that kind of changed the game for players to be able to keep track of their studies when you're on a long road trip? Well, it's, it's interesting. There's uh, so many um, academic uh, support options now for players that, uh, you know, didn't exist when I was playing. Um, you know, I think one of the greatest things you learn as a, as a player in the Washington Hockey League is time management, and there is lots of time in the day. You just have to use it uh um, smartly and focused on the priorities that matter. And in this case, it's, uh, 
you know, your family, uh, school and hockey um, are obviously the three priorities that are really important for us as an organization and our players. Uh, the Western Hockey League offers a player a program called Grade Slam that, that provides tutoring um, at any time, at any place uh, for, for our players, which is a great program. Uh, we provide tutors as needed for, for our players, um, and we have now in our facility a classroom that we've built right into it that uh, can be used by our players at any time. And in addition to that, Shaftesbury's got a, uh, a number of resources. So when we look at building out a, a course schedule for our players, we actually we want them to be in the school as much as possible because we think those relationships are, are real important. But there is the ability to supplement uh, their course load with some online courses, which obviously provides um, some flexibility in different different uh, uh, ways when you know with our travel schedule. And it usually ends up being a blend of both for the players. Well, I have you here, Matt. How, how big a deal was it to get Matthew Savoy signed? Well, it certainly was, uh, you know, a, a really important day for organization. I think it's going to be really exciting for, for Winnipeg. Um, and, uh, you know, while we're talking about Shaftesbury, when we had, you know, Matt uh, here for a visit prior to the draft, I mean, a big part of that, that visit was... Uh, school and that relationship and what that would look like and the academic piece and um, so I think everything that we've kind of been able to build here in Winnipeg is just so attractive uh, for players from a development perspective and uh, so for Matt to uh, choose Winnipeg as a place where he thinks the best place for him to develop as a, as a player and, and a person I think is, uh, is very exciting. On Matthew's visit to Winnipeg how else did you sell the city and your facilities to him? Well, I think uh, in a lot of ways, the passion of, of Winnipeggers for, for hockey, um, you know, really sells itself. Um, at the, when Matt was here, of course, was right uh, in the midst of the Jets, uh, you know, playoffs that were happening. So um, obviously the, the conversations and, and energy in the city were, were very high um, at that time. And I think easy, easy to feel that and experience that. And then when you come into a, the facility like we built and, you meet the staff that we've put together um, and then see how everything's kind of integrated with the players in mind and their development in mind. And, you know, really what, what we want is to provide every possible tool for a player to, uh, to develop and be the best possible um, athlete that they can be. And um, so I think, you know, we have a great staff, a great team, and we're working really, really hard at being, uh, you know, a, a great organization, a marquee organization, in the CHL. And uh, from that, uh, you know, uh, believe in what we're doing and what we're building in his family, I think um, certainly helps us get off uh, to the right start. And an MJHL question for you before I let you go. Uh, today, the Blues traded with Steinbeck. Uh, just a lot of players. Pistons got three players. The Blues got seven future considerations as well. A lot of younger players going to the Blues. What is it about junior hockey, both at uh, the MJ level and sometimes in the CHL as well, that we see these enormous trades with a, a lot of players involved in it? Yeah, I think, you know, that the, the trade itself would be a great question, of course, for Terrace, the um, general manager of uh, the Blues. Um, but I think just commenting in terms of uh, maybe just in general, um, the MJHL and um you know, a couple of the transactions, I think, uh, specifically as it relates to the Blues, there's obviously, uh, we're talking about local players and the program that uh, that we're building here um, is, I think, going to be designed for, 
for a player that uh, is looking to get to the next level of hockey as quickly as possible. And um, part of building that program uh, is uh, certainly, you know, making sure you have the right fit in terms of players and people. And so Terrace is working through that process. And, um, you know, in, in, the, the trade that he's made is, you know, in the best interest of all the players uh, involved. Um, but I would say probably certainly a trade of that uh, magnitude in terms of number of players involved is uh, is probably more of the, the rarity than, than the norm. Well, Matt, I appreciate you taking time to talk to me tonight, and uh, best of luck as you go into the summer here. Okay, thank you so much. And now... Quarterback turmoil, the focus in Regina. We're heading there now with Rob Vanstone, friend of the show, longtime writer for the Regina Leader Post. So, Rob, we talked a lot in the offseason about how the quarterback situation for the Rough Riders was where everything kind of hinged on. Zach Caleros needed to bounce back, be really good. And on the third play of the season, he's knocked out with a concussion. How much does this disrupt everything that was hoped for in Saskatchewan? Uh, disrupt would probably be an improvement considering their state they're in right now, Christian. It's just a devastated uh, situation as, as far as the quarterbacking goes for the Rough Riders right now. They're just—it's almost like they're starting training camp again. It's—you uh, know—you look back to the to, to May when they were auditioning players, and they're still auditioning players, except now the results count. It's—I'm not sure they know what they have. They're going to have some sort of alternation of quarterbacks on Thursday in Ottawa and who knows how it's going to turn out. It's just, and you factor into that the quarterbacking elsewhere in the West division. When you look at Mike Riley, Trevor Harris, Bo Levi Mitchell, and Matt Nichols coming off a tremendous game. The riders were fifth out of five in the West division, even before this happened. And now there's just so such a distance between number four and number five in terms of quarterbacking quality in the division it's uh, this could be it for this team already so what does Cody Fajardo give them he's the starting quarterback Thursday in Ottawa he gives them lots of mobility and he might need it Ottawa liked um, blitzed Bowley by Mitchell a lot in the season opening win in Calgary so I imagine with a young quarterback in there they've got to be the Red Blacks have got to be salivating at that so I would imagine they're going to probably Blitz everybody except Rick Campbell and Justin Trudeau, trying to <laughs> trying to track down, make life miserable for the for the Rough Riders' young quarterback. He's, he's he's mobile. He doesn't have the strongest arm. He showed some accuracy in the in the preseason, not so much in the in the first regular season game. But um, it's it's just such an unenviable unenviable situation, even for any quarterback to play in this Rough Riders' offense because it's so paint by numbers. I'm not sure that. A veteran quarterback would feel especially comfortable with it, but now you're looking at uh, at a quarterback making his first start in an offense that's typically unproductive. That's that's a pretty it's a double whammy for the Rough Riders, and I don't know what they're going to do honestly. Despite that kind of uncertainty, there they still almost won in Hamilton. Was there any positive to take out of that game for Saskatchewan? The odd thing was, despite the quarterback carousel, they had. 36 minutes plus of time of possession. So there's that. They were only able to turn that into 17 points, but they moved the ball with some efficiency, with absolutely no explosiveness, which isn't anything new. Uh, William Powell, their running back, gained 104 yards on 20 carries. 
Um, his first game as a rough rider. He's playing against his former teammates in Ottawa on Thursday. Uh, the defense played quite well. Uh, so that's not really a surprise because that was a very good defense last year. Uh, defense didn't force any turnovers, but they held the opposition to 17. And when you do that in the Canadian Football League, you should win. How long is Caleros going to be out? I lied, by the way. They held the opposition to 16 points. Uh, then there was a punt return touchdown that uh, that Hamilton scored as well. So the defense held the opposition to 16. As far as Caleros being out, who knows? It could be permanently. You look at a quarterback with his concussion history, and I think if he isn't wary of returning to the football field, I think the Rough Riders brass has to be very cautious about how they move on from here because I'm not sure you want to put a, a young man in a situation where his general health is endangered, and it is reaching that stage. At least there is that risk considering his susceptibility to concussions. Who's to say that a quarterback who would never had a concussion wouldn't have sustained a head injury on that hit by Simone Lawrence. That was quite the hit, and that was acknowledged with the two-game suspension issued by the league. But when you factor in the history, I think there's an elevated risk of playing Zach Kalaros again, and I'm not sure if the Rough Riders or any team is going to be prepared to accept that risk because what if it happens again and you're looking at this this young man on the turf and uh, it's I don't think anybody wants that on their conscience. No. Uh, Isaac Harker came in and gave some minutes for that offense as well as they failed to come back against Hamilton. Is he someone that's potentially going to see some added playing time now, or is this Fajardo's job? Oh, he's it, it, by the sounds of it, Christian, Isaac, Isaac Harker is going to see significant playing time on, on Thursday. The only thing that Craig Dickinson, the Riders head coach, has really guaranteed is that Cody Pichardo is going to start the game. From the indications today, it seems that Isaac Harker is also going to see some playing time early. And as the game progresses, I think they'll just ultimately go with a hot hand if they have one. It's a it's an unconventional situation, but in defense of Craig Dickinson, he's, I think he's got to find out what he has at quarterback. He really isn't in a position to make a definitive assessment, and his hand has been forced here. It's an awful situation to be in. They've got a pretty good team overall, but. They really have no idea what they're doing at the quarterback situation, nor can they have any idea at this juncture because the the two quarterbacks behind Zach Kalaros are unproven. So we knew already going into the season that making the playoffs out of the West, if you're Saskatchewan, was not going to be easy. Do they have any shot now? This is about as impossible as it's going to get, I would think. Uh, it's I don't know really how they how you do the math on that one and figure a way for the Rough Riders to finish fourth and get a, get at least a crossover. Who knows? It's a long and grueling season. Other teams may sustain injuries. Other quarterbacks may be hurt. That may bring other teams down to the pack. But looking at it now, quarterbacking wasn't an area of strength for the Rough Riders to begin with, and now it's just a glaring liability unless unless. Uh, Cody Fajardo or Isaac Harker proves to be a revelation. And that's that's a tall order. Uh, it's a lot to ask for someone who has not yet started a game in the Canadian Football League. So it would be a near miracle for the Rough Riders to make the playoffs now, I would suggest. Before I let you go, you're an unabashed fan of the Winnipeg Jets. Jacob Truba's out. Uh, your thoughts on the trade? Uh, and now there's talk of trading Ealers. I'm, I'm really moping around Regina. <laughs> wearing my Jets hat today. This I've seen this day coming, and I don't want to make it 
don't want to say I told you so, but when they signed Dustin Buffel into that big deal, I thought, well, there's the money that could have gone to, to, to Jacob Truba. And now Dustin Bufflin is 34 years old and on the downside of his career. And Jacob Truba at 25 is going to the New York Rangers. And I think that contract, big contract signed by Bufflin three years ago is, is haunting them or could come back to haunt them now. And I'm just not in a very pleasant mood these days. Just ask my wife. I've, since, since around supper time yesterday, I really haven't been good company. <laughs> Oh well, it's June 18th, and who would have thought that a, a Jets trade would would make you feel worse than a Rough Riders not having a quarterback? Well, this has happened before. I remember draft day 1990 when the Winnipeg Jets traded Dale Howard Chuck to Buffalo, and that was sort of the same thing as the Montreal Expos trading Gary Carter to the New York Mets. It was sort of two really two dark days trade-wise in my life that I hope I never have to experience for a third time. The Jacob Truba trade didn't feel especially good, but Howard Chuck 29 years ago, that still stings. Well, Probably far too much for my own, own well-being. Well, hopefully something you can do something to cheer yourself up over the next few days before the draft comes. I'm going to go and order a really, really big... Uh, a bowl of ice cream tonight. All right. And, well, uh, hopefully that will that'll get me over it. <laughs> well, enjoy it, Rob. I appreciate your time as always, and we'll chat again soon. Thanks so much for your time, Christian. Take care. Every week on our Winnipeg Blue Bombers pregame show, Kelly Moore puts together a player profile on one of the members of the team. And on Tuesdays through the season, I'll share that piece with you again in case you missed it or want to hear it one more time. Week one player profile, Anthony Gator. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers defensive unit was a force in 2018, led by the likes of Adam Big Hill, Jackson Jeffcoat, Brandon Alexander, and Rookie of the Year nominee Marcus Sales. Oh yeah, and there was also this guy. Four receivers wide right, and it's a hitch pass intercepted. This will be a touchdown for Anthony Gator. The 10, the 5, touchdown. Blue Bombers, talk about reading a play and stepping in. Wow. With all the returning stars, as well as the addition of Willie Jefferson, it's easy to sometimes overlook Anthony Gator, but that's nothing new for the 30-year-old cornerback slash Sam linebacker from Miami. He just quietly goes about his business like he has always done. Anthony is from the not-so-upscale neighborhood of Liberty City, But instead of getting involved with gangs, he used sports as a healthy and productive alternative. Baseball, basketball, and football. So I played in three sports year-round just to do something with my time. High school, 12th grade year, I just focused on on football and got a scholarship. Always been my first sport, and I loved it. And The other sport was just to keep me in shape and keep me active, so... I love football more. And Gator had the rare opportunity to play for the state powerhouse Miami Northwestern High School Bulls during that grade 12 year. It was a great season going 15-0 and that year, winning the state championship, just memories and creating a legacy at, at, at down there in Miami. Interestingly enough, Anthony chose to go from an undefeated championship team to a program coming off an 0-12 season at Florida International University. He says the deciding factor was the immediate chemistry he had with then-head coach Mario Cristobal, 
But there was another motivating force behind the decision to choose FIU over more established schools like Bowling Green and Georgia. I won't say the, the foundation, but just something new, start something new, because most programs already have their legacy and they already started something. So I just wanted to start something new, and that was another reason for me going there too. The Panthers went from 1-11 and 11 in Gators' freshman season to 8-5 and five in a bowl appearance in his senior year. So when it came to raising the bar at Florida International, mission accomplished. And Anthony's willingness to accept the challenge paid off with getting taken in the seventh round by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. At that time, he was just the third FIU player ever to be drafted. I expect to go higher than that, but I know the, what, what the circumstances were and Just to get drafted was a blessing. No matter what round you go, it was a blessing just to be a part of the NFL and been it comes to my dreams since I was little, something I always wanted to do to play in the NFL and get drafted, so it was a, it definitely was a blessing. Gator would rather not share his opinion on why he should have been taken higher in that 2011 draft, but the bottom line is he managed to play in 12 games during his first two seasons in Tampa Bay before blowing out his knee during the 2013 exhibition schedule. Playing and being on that big stage was my dream, my goal. So, you know, I took a, it was, it was, it was, it was a blessing and it was just fun to be there and just playing in front of the type of, that type of fan, the type of crowd was very excited. After getting waived by the Buccaneers, Anthony bounced around with a few teams, Miami, a second go-round with Tampa Bay, and then Arizona, before accepting an invite from former BC Lions director of U.S. scouting Ryan Rigmaiden to head north and give the CFL a try. I thought it was kind of like, um, kind of crazy a little bit due to the waggle. The guy's moving for the ball, but it's nothing. I, I mean, in life, you just got to adapt to anything in life. And I mean, there wasn't no excuses or about the game. If I love the game. Football is football. In the, the day, you just, they motion before the snap now, but after the, after the, Snap is football. Reg Maiden is now the Blue Bombers director of college scouting, so it doesn't require the investigative skills of Sherlock Holmes to deduce how Anthony Gator wound up in blue and gold. Oh man, it just hearing about the, the organization was a great organization. I felt like Ryan came over here, and it, it was another chance to um, continue to play with my continue my career. But I mean, when it was on the table, I reached out to some of the guys like Yoshi. And asked him, you like, man, you'll love it over here. And Anthony Gator took over the starting job at Sam Linebacker from a struggling Mo Leggett in the Labor Day Classic and never looked back. It was an opportunity for me to play somewhere on the field. Like I always told the coach, I don't care where I play. I just want to be on the field. And I feel like I can play every position on the field. So wherever you need me, wherever you want to put me, just put me there. And, you know, I, mean? I just want to play football at the end of the day. And at the end of the day, Anthony Gator decided he's going to stick around for a while. He'll be a Blue Bomber through 2020 after re-signing for two years during this past offseason. I mean, I haven't been to every organization, but just being here just feel like, you know, it's home. Like I said, it's just home to me and I, that's it. Championship or nothing <laughs> that we're here for. We're not here to settle for nothing else but a championship. And no doubt Anthony Gator will be very much looking forward to beginning that quest tonight against B.C., especially after being injured during the home-and-home series against his former team a season ago. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I think you're out of luck, but Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?